0: Welcome to Citizen, 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 Citizen Science, Citizen Science Show. Kathy Gilmore has been a leader for the Central Coast New South Wales branch of the Australian Seabird and Turtle Rescue Association for over 30 years. The association is licensed to rescue and rehabilitate seabirds, shorebirds, sea turtles and sea snakes in New South Wales. Kathy, this brings me to a question straight away. I'm just wondering what do you mean by licensed? is there a restriction on what people can do in terms of helping wildlife?
1: Yes actually. Um, you know we deal with specialized and native animals and you need to know not only how to handle them but if you're rehabbing you know what sort of food um, housing etc so national parks actually, Uh, give out licenses to particular groups so each group may have different animals under their license Um, so here on the central coast we've got say wildlife arc they don't have a license for marine reptiles meaning that they can't rehab um, sea turtles or sea snakes but yet we do Um, and our license is just for specific animals um, marine animals so we don't do the whole lot of birds and reptiles. Ours is just aimed at specific, so that we're able to specialise in those particular animals. And but yes, you need a licence um, from national parks to be able to uh, rehab.
0: That's reassuring. It just means that the the animals, the the injured wildlife, are actually going to be looked after well by people who are trained to do so. Kathy, how did you begin working at the association?
1: So um, when I was really young, my parents used to come up to the Central Coast and they used to take us to the pelican feed at the entrance. And I've always had a real affinity with that, with animals. I'm always rescuing them when I was little, bringing them home to mum. And when I moved up to the Central Coast 30 years ago, I ended up um, heading down to the pelican feed. And there was a group, uh, Wildlife Arc, that were involved in um rescuing the pelicans there at the feed and i end up joining to be a part of the team and that's that's where it all started that's where the love all began
0: and the association i believe here on the central coast is actually part of a larger organization can you tell us a little bit more about that larger organization that you're also a part of
1: so uh Back when I was with Wild Fark, we had ended up contacting Lance Ferris, who was the founder of Australian Seabird Rescue up in Ballina. And he came down and actually trained us to um, catch the pelicans. Um, so in two, and, and so Lance and I had always stayed in contact because then I ended up running the pelican feed. And in 2005, National Parks gave... Um, Australian Seabird Rescue, a licence for the whole east coast of New South Wales. So in 2005, the moment that happened, I launched the Central Coast branch immediately.
0: So you keep in constant contact with Lance and his association?
1: Oh, Lance passed away in 2007, so we just keep um, yeah, his memory alive okay. of continuing to do the work. Yep. Yeah,
0: yep. he'd be very proud of you, I'm sure.
1: Oh, for sure.
0: So I understand that it's basically, um, it's, chap, it, it's, it's ethos is to help the sea turtles, the seabirds. It, does it extend to any other wildlife species?
1: So uh, our licence is for uh, seabirds, marine reptiles and um, uh well that's it, yeah. So that's <laughs> okay. reptiles actually. So and our catch cries living together, reducing the human impact on marine wildlife. So that's what we try to do is, is to um educate people on what our marine wildlife stuff are And um yeah, we do, you know, pelicans. Uh, albatross, penguins, sea turtles, and sea snakes. That's okay. We specialise in them. So, you know, these animals get, um, and majority of them are endangered species, get the best care in the first instance when they come to us. Okay. that's That's why we do what we do.
0: So there's no overlap with some of the other associations, like, for example, Ronnie Ling, and orca, and I'm sure there are others as well in terms of the kinds of uh, wildlife they try and rescue.
1: Yeah, so orca don't have an overlap with any other group because they're the only um, organisation that are licensed for marine mammals. Um, but like with wildlife arcs, they can do seabirds. Um, they just can't do marine reptiles. With wires, wires have only just got their licence to do marine reptiles uh, this year, I believe. Um, and they do all the other animals as well so there is an overlap the thing is is we've been doing it for a very long time so with the rehab side of things there's no need for them to set up rehab facilities because there's already us here doing it Um, so that's why the animals then end up coming to us
0: okay in your time with the organisation, which I believe has been close to 30 years, what changes have you seen in terms of the, the wildlife that you rescue along the coast? Is it um, increasing in terms of the needs and, and the injuries or are they changing over time? What, what are your experiences?
1: So nothing's changed. In fact, it's got worse. So in 30 years, the injuries to the marine wildlife has not got better it has got worse the fishing hook and line injuries are tripled the amount of even sea turtles we're getting now with fishing hook and line injuries is tripling when i launched uh, seabird rescue back in 2005 we were lucky to get a sea turtle in once every two to three years now we're getting like 18 to 50 turtles in Uh, A year, and half of them can be due to fishing hook and line injuries. Not good enough. Yeah.
0: So, what could the recreational fishermen? And I assume they're recreational fishermen, or are they commercial fishermen that are are causing these injuries?
1: Oh, it's a majority of recreational fishermen. Hundred, yeah, for sure. Um, They need to like it. Would be great if the fishing industry would promote. Uh, rescue groups in the areas, you know, that like a lot of these animals are endangered species, you know, we try to do a campaign with don't cut the line, you know, try and reel the animal in, you cut the line it means we've got to then try and go out and catch the animal. Um, and it just would save a lot of time and a lot of stress for the animal if you could reel the animal in. And by coming to some of our workshops and learn how to handle the animal so that you're not frightened that you're going to hurt yourself or hurt the animal is like the best outcome for everybody. So it would be really great if um, fisheries could support us in that way in getting recreational fishermen to come and do some training workshops with us.
0: That's actually an interesting point. I would have thought that if you reeled the animal in, it would have put up a fight and it would have therefore result in worse injuries for the animal. What um, what are your
1: thoughts? Yeah, not necessarily. So uh, a hook, see back in the days as well, the hooks used to rust out like they'd say, but they're not, they don't anymore because they're stainless steel. So there's no such thing as a hook rusting out of an animal anymore and all it does is like say for a pelican for instance um when a pelican gets a fishing hook embedded in its body its body will send calcium to heal the wound and the hook as you know is a cylindrical shape um and so it keeps moving and every time it moves it sends a a message that I need to close up that hole. So this hook ends up with this great big lump of calcif- you know, calcification that just keeps growing and growing that can disable a wing, can create a really bad infection. They end up with, you know, septicemia, blood poisoning, and it'll end up killing the animal. So they they don't just fall, the hooks don't just fall out. The animal needs to be caught. So if by reeling that animal in for a minute to get that hook out is the best outcome all the way round because then bang, cut, out and you could just let the animal go they're out there in salt water the injury would heal quite quickly on its own you know instead of it being in there for weeks or months waiting for us to try and then catch this animal that can fly or a turtle that can swim like a really quick until it gets debilitated
0: what if the animal actually swallows the hook and it's actually embedded much deeper into the animal
1: so All depends. We've got sash at Tugra and they're really great and they've been doing operations, um, you know, especially with our marine turtles have line coming out of the mouth. Um, Unfortunately, what ends up happening is a lot of the time they have to euthanise the sea turtle on the table because the fishing line has ended up wrapped around the organs inside the turtle and perforated the bowels and stuff like that but sometimes you know we we had a sea turtle that was really really sick you could tell because of the barnacle load um, and we got it and we were doing the oils and, and the feed and four days after this turtle came in care um, she started to poop out a helium balloon now she was 43 centimeters long, I think, her curved carapace. And the and it took her two days to excrete this helium balloon and the and the ribbon attached to it because the ribbon was 2.5 meters long. Oh my gosh. You know, and it was so lucky that it didn't wrap around any organs and it didn't perforate. The bowels because otherwise that meant that animal would have died and we were actually after six months in care eight months in care able to release that animal back into the marine environment definitely would have died had we had it not come into care with us so sometimes we have our good stories but yes yeah majority not so good
0: well that actually um brings to mind two questions very quickly but um the seat the and it's a bit of a misnomer i think but people think that the hooks don't create pain for the animal. What what are your thoughts on that?
1: Well, that's a complete fallacy. And that's an absolute joke. Of course, it does. The animals feel just like we would feel. So if you think about having a hook down your throat or a hook in your arm, um, that pain you feel is what they will feel. Wild animals do not have facial muscles, so they don't show pain, but I can tell you they are in a lot of pain. They, um, in the wild, uh, don't show pain because when they do, they tend to get picked on, um, and that could result in their death. So that's why they carry on regardless, like as if they've got no injury whatsoever, because that's millions of years of hereditary You've got to fight to survive. That's your survival instinct. Pretend like nothing's wrong, but they it's, feel
0: it. Yeah, it's shocking. I mean, people feel they can justify their actions by saying that uh, the animal isn't feeling pain, but um, I suspect oh, yeah. that, yeah, that's uh, that it's a massive misnomer. Now, you mentioned uh, earlier just the uh, sash, which I think is a, a rehabilitation or a veterinarian think, surgery. Yeah, li-
1: a Hospital,
0: yeah. Hospital, okay. And so when it comes to rehabilitating the animal, whereabouts do you take them? I mean, I know you take them to SASH, but then they need to go from there to yes. some it's kind sash, of
1: Yeah, SASH are the apology. veterinary people. So SASH don't rehab or anything. Um, under National Parks laws as well, we need to make sure we take the animals to a vet. I mean, allow a vet to look them over. A lot of the time we work with the vets because, of course, you know, when um, uh, vets are doing their studying, they don't often spend a lot of time on wildlife. So they work really closely with us. But then the animals come into our care. We're the ones that rehab the animals. So we rescue and we re rehabilitate and we're the ones that release. But so when you,
0: we, sorry to interrupt, but when you rehabilitate, do you place them into some kind of tank? Um,
1: yeah, yeah. So that, yeah, they rehab with us. At our homes. Oh. That's, we don't have a property. Um, so, yeah, they all come. We've got all of our setups, our aviaries, our tanks, everything set up in volunteers' uh, yards.
0: Wow. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, that actually connects up with one of our other previous guests, Ryan Pereira from Irakanji Centre, and uh, he has a large or a, quite a few uh, rehabilitation tanks uh, yeah. for turtles do you know ryan up at, we certainly uh, do
1: we work yeah. really closely with ryan and the team the sea shelter team up at Irikanji? so when we get um turtles that like a really big uh that's where we take them we take them up to ryan and the team up there because they've got some huge tanks so yeah, our a lot of the turtles that come into our care uh, you know around probably no more than 50 centimeters in the curved carapace um we can rehab all of them um, but when they start getting a bit bigger, we take them up to Rhine or we take them down to Toronga Zoo. Yeah, but Taronga normally get a bit inundated, so it's a nicer drive up to Irukanji. <laughs> yeah,
0: it is. Port Stevens is beautiful. Well, yeah. The, um, the turtles themselves, they're green sea turtles, is that correct?
1: Oh, well, we've had... Um, three different species in care so green sea turtles we've had loggerhead turtles and we've had the hawksbill turtles so they're the three that we've actually and at one stage um for last year we actually had the whole three species in care oh my gosh at the one time yeah
0: and are they nesting further north and traveling south with the warmer currents the eastern current why, why is yeah, it that we're getting these tropical so- species down here
1: They definitely nest northern, um, but they live around our region and have for millions of years. They actually um, go down, you know, like quite far south. um, People don't realise that the turtles do travel. Like I say, they nest northern, but they do traverse our whole coastline all the time. We have them coming in and out of Tugger Lakes, in and out of Lake Macquarie, We released one of our turtles that we had in care um, at Cabbage Tree Bay and Manly, where we rescued it. It's um, two years now and it's never left Manly. It stays there. Wow. Yeah. So through summer, winter, um, Billy the turtle has just stayed (laughs) at Cabbage Tree Bay Manly. So we're able to see our work in action. Like you don't normally get that opportunity. You normally release them and you don't see that turtle again unless it's tagged and somebody goes, oh, I came across this turtle but billy tagged and just stays and we get videos of him all the time it's awesome
0: (laughs) it's reassuring so you do tag the animals after they're rehabilitated and monitor them and and collect data
1: yeah yeah so um yeah we do collect the data when they're in care with us um and we do tag them and then of course you only then um we don't then monitor after that because we don't have the facilities to do that. I know Taronga Zoo uh, do a lot of monitoring of the turtles. Um, the Australian Bird and Bat Banding um, they work in with them, so they're able to make some tracking, you know, data on what turtles, you know, are where or keep showing up, um, which is really valuable. Um, so they, of course, get all of our information um and our tagging so that it gets added um so at any time you know if we want to know anything you know, we just contact them and they you know provide us with updates on what's going on you know you can only do so much we're a yeah. volunteer organization so you know we really back well above yeah. you know our weight for sure and
0: do you see the numbers increasing over the years the, the turtles uh, overall
1: Um, Well, increasing coming into care, yes. So
0: with injuries, yes. Which is quite sad. You also mentioned an issue there with marine pollution and one of those culprits are balloons, helium balloons. And I know you're a very strong advocate for a reduction in the amount of balloons that are released at one time. Could you please give us a little bit of uh, information about that and the impact of those balloons?
1: So... Um, actually back in the 90s um, Lance and um, I were doing some research about balloons because I was running the pelican feed and you could see you know the plastic and the balloons in the water and so could Lance and he started to really research it and we realized that there was no cap on how many balloons could actually be released in New South Wales. So Lance really took it on board and really petitioned the state to change the laws. Now, they weren't prepared to go to zero, um, but they actually put a cap of no more than uh, 19 balloons were allowed to be released at any one time. So we took that in our stride, but now um, there's a campaign campaign, you know going really strongly for the last couple of years especially with um uh, uh, the no balloon release australia with karen joins who is really campaigning with our support to get it down to zero let's finally stop any balloon release because it's litter it's like you're just picking up litter and throwing it in the water they don't go to heaven Don't go to anybody you love. I'm telling you now, they end up in the waterways and they end up killing these animals because they think they're eating jellyfish and they're eating balloons and it's killing them.
0: So the latex, which I thought was a a natural type of product, uh, like a rubber would break, it doesn't break down
1: no no and funnily enough not in salt water so the balloon industry will have you thinking you know like um these balloons are like a is it the the gum leaf and they break down over time but they don't um you just need to watch rubber jellyfish um and it just shows all the incorrect but it's typical of an organization that doesn't want change and how they can work their way around wording and stuff but balloons need to be stopped they do not break down and if they do they've already killed half a dozen animals before that happens
0: there's so much that happens offshore that we really don't know isn't there i mean not only balloons but plastic bags yeah
1: yeah, yeah, some of those animals that don't even make it, that's right, into shore that are, that are dead. Like we, funnily enough, like I'm from the Central Coast and we've got um, a club here called Mingara at Kalanivale, and they used to hand out helium balloons way back, you know, like in the early um, 2000s, probably even before it, when they built the new club. And our Ballina branch, lands. they'd end up rescuing this uh, southern giant petrel, huge seabird, absolutely amazing, big tuba nose-like stunning seabird. And it had a balloon um, a line coming out of its mouth. So they ended up being able to get the balloon out of the throat. And it said, life's great at Mingara. So that balloon was released here on the central coast and an animal more than 600 kilometres away was rescued with that balloon in its straight. Now, that bird would have died had that bird not been rescued.
0: And that's the one that we found.
1: Yeah, yeah. And that was lucky because it had beached itself on a beach. See, a lot of them just aren't lucky enough. They don't have the energy. They start debilitating and then they don't have the energy to to make their way to the shore. And then, of course, you have the other animals, sharks or whatnot, then eat them and then they end up with the, the plastic in their guts and it ends up, yeah, it's just a nasty cycle. just keeps killing.
0: We're so conditioned to think that some of these things are harmless, like fishing line, fishing hooks, balloons. It's, um, we, we really need to change the way we think about these things and realise they do have quite a negative impact on our local wildlife.
1: They do, but we think more about uh, taking away our pleasures than we do about what we're um, doing to the animals. It's like, you know, the animals have got no right. And we've got it all, you know, shark nets in the ocean. We've got to keep the humans safe. Like, you know, let's let's not worry that the sharks keep the ocean healthy so we can breathe. Let's just kill them because, you know, hello. We're humans and we should be allowed to go in that ocean without any fear whatsoever. It makes we- me angry. It makes me really angry. Yeah. Well it's good. We
0: need people who are angry and and um angry people change things you touched on another interesting point there the the shark nets which have got um quite a large impact again on the natural wildlife i was wondering if oh, you could talk cool. to us a little bit about how you well first of all the experiences that you've had and um you know what you think we could do to actually um change that mode of protecting or it's in protecting in inverted commas our beaches
1: yeah. So shark nets are a false sense of security. There is no doubt about it. They do not protect anybody at any time, at any stage. Uh, any And half of the people you speak to have a no idea whether there is a shark net at the beach they're, they're swimming at or whether there's not. They have no idea. People just don't even know. And the ones that think there is a shark net think that the net goes from, I don't know, one headland maybe to the other, which is not the case, right? So the sharks can swim over, under, and around these shark nets. They provide no security for you whatsoever. They were apparently put in back in the 1930s because, you know, there was some crazy notion that um, they needed to maybe... Kill the sharks and stop them from, uh, you know, uh, establishing a territory, right? So another fallacy that gets put out there to make sure that we just keep the status quo going because you know nobody's game enough to make the call to say, you know what, shark nets are ridiculous, they don't work. We've just been killing the wildlife um, because we think you're all idiots, and nobody's game enough to make that call. So. It's, it's just a total fallacy. They don't help. They don't do anything. If anything, you know, they just, they're, they're absolute killing nets that just end up um, killing anything that touch them. And that's what they're meant to do. So you then end up with an animal that's trapped in the nets. Um, it ends up dying because, of course, it can't get out. And what is it going to do? It's going to attract the sharks. That's the crazy thing about it. So they go in and if we, if we cannot come up with technology now in 2022 and get rid of these 1930 nets i just it just blows my mind that nobody's been game enough to go that let's just they're gone let's just get rid of them so and just now here even on the Central coast and I think down in Sydney and whatnot they've just um, added the drum lines in so let's put a wall of meat and let's like really attract the sharks in, oh my gosh. So let's like make it even worse for swimmers now. But the swimmers, like a majority of the public don't even look at it that way. They think, oh yeah, these people are making it all safe for us. But fisheries don't even talk to us. So here we are, one of the organizations that, you know, rehab the sea turtles, critically endangered species okay and when a turtle gets caught in a shark net it needs to come into care you cannot just release this turtle back like let's just take it out it's been thrashing around it's like when a human is out there um like drowning in a sense and there's water going in the surf lifesavers will take that person out of the water they don't just let them walk off and go home they keep them there, they make sure they're okay, they'll call the ambulance, they give them oxygen because those people can drown after getting pulled out of the water. It's exactly the same with these sea turtles. So what ends up happening is, is they release these sea turtles and then bang, they end up dead on a shoreline in a, you know, either the same day or a couple of days because they've ended up drowning because of the stress they went under being caught in shark nets. So why can't fisheries work with us? Why can't the contractors that um, are going out, if they won't allow us to go out to the shark nets, why won't they hand over the turtles to us? So when they put in their report, turtle released alive, they can rest assured that because the turtle has gone into care, it really will be released alive. Do you get what I mean?
0: Yeah, that's that's an interesting point. The contractors sound to me like they're not trained or
1: they've just got a job to do. And it's not their fault. They're just abiding by their contract from fisheries, from DPI. DPI need to step up and start realising we can all be on the same team. You know, and I don't understand why Um, it can't happen.
0: Voices like yourself, which are very active in this particular area, can they not, or can you not, or has it not occurred where you've communicated that to DPI and they've yes, uh, yes, responded? All, or?
1: Yes, no, we've communicated, but, you know, it's, um, and of course, you know, because we want the shark nets out too, because all they do is kill, you know, these endangered species, more so than the, even the target animals that they're after. Um they, I don't, I don't know why. Oh, you try to have meetings um, when they were, when they were doing uh, meetings all across the coastline with all the new technology that they were trialling and whatnot. They still just wouldn't even um, talk, have meetings. Um, we'd go to the, we'd go to the meetings and speak up then, but yeah, that was the only time we would actually get an opportunity, I mean, the Central Coast Council were really great um, and listened to what we were saying and actually said to DPI that they don't want the shark nets here on the Central Coast, but they're not in charge, DPI are. So who's in charge of DPI? That's who obviously we need. Maybe we've got a new government, maybe now they'll listen to us and we can maybe start getting some action on environmental issues and start getting these archaic shark nets out of the goddamn ocean.
0: It does sound very much like it's a a political issue and the politicians are trying to appease what they think is is the consensus of the general population. Yes,
1: exactly. And that's because half of them think that a shark net goes the whole length of the beach. They don't realise there's not enough education to go, hey, you know what only goes here? And I guess because if it did, maybe there would be some outrage.
0: And what percent sorry, um, what percentage of animals caught in the shark nets are actually sharks and other marine life? What sort of uh, Look, ratio? I I don't,
1: yeah, I don't know that off the top of my head, but I know the majority of the animals killed are race. So they come up with the most animals killed in shark nets. So you raise stingrays.
0: Okay.
1: Raise. okay. And
0: with, yeah. And with the drum lines, as I understand it, what they do is they bait them with mullet and then possibly they'll catch a shark, probably they'll catch something else. And then they actually tag it and release it. And then it swims along the coast and it activates these special buoys to indicate that that particular shark is there. Um, Which I guess if you've got the app and you're continually checking, you know that there are sharks around.
1: That's right. Look, and, and hey, that's that's great technology, the tagging, but I'm sure there can be other less cruel ways to go about doing that. Um, and I'm sure there's been a lot of research and there are a lot of people in the, the shark field that, you know, um, have probably contacted DPI going, here you go, this is the way, you know, we do stuff. Um, you can bet your bottom dollar, but um, we had um, a leatherback turtle that was caught in the shark nets at McMaster's Beach the other week. Now, you get told um, by DPI that the shark nets are cleared daily, checked on, you know, so that there's no, no animal suffering or dying in the net, etc, etc. Now, here we have a critically endangered leatherback turtle. Uh, caught in the shark nets and the shark contractor wasn't even on the coast. I can't come up and do it until the next day. So obviously, you know, that leatherback's going to be dead in that net come the next day. Um, So the good thing was, I guess, is DPI then contacted the drumline operator who then went out. And so he was allowed. So none of us that are trained in the animals are allowed to go out there and release the animal, check on its health or anything um so it was just released mind you with with a leatherback there's nobody there's nobody i don't think anywhere in australia that's got facilities for the turtles that size unfortunately but you know it would be great to at least get it even onto the land let it just recoup for a bit you know yeah um yeah before you know helping it then get just back in the water and off it goes
0: We've had a large way. number of leatherback turtles washed on the beaches on the central coast oh, in the last few months. Yeah. Can you pinpoint a possible it's, cause? Um,
1: so um, I don't like to speculate because you know you don't really know. Um, I can tell you that definitely um, out of the six, at least four had uh, shark net um, marks. So it was caught. They were caught in shark nets. That's affirmative from national parks, but they've also done um, blood testing, which they're still waiting on the results. So we don't know whether um, that's the case. Um, We do know like there was a warm surge coming down that may have created them to come a bit closer to the coastline. We learned that these turtles obviously transverse our coastlines during that time, but they normally don't come this close to shore. Um, And so obviously coming this close to shore, some of them then end up getting themselves tangled and obviously got themselves out or DPI released them and of course we just weren't um, told about it, obviously. I guess we find out when they release their records, that's when we find out how many animals have been caught in the shark nets, how many are released Alive, um, and how many are actually uh, dead in the nets? So we don't find out anything until the the numbers are released.
0: And when are the numbers released?
1: Um, they they're yearly, so um, and I think it's like from um, financial year to financial year, sort of.
0: Okay, yeah. okay. So there's plenty of time for them to to uh, hide the crime, so to speak.
1: Well, yeah, or you just don't, yeah, it's hard to, you know, how do you fight, you know, what's going on when you're not getting the information until a year later? Yeah, sense, yeah, you know? yeah, 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 exactly. Which I guess is works for them, probably works in their favour big time.
0: Moving back to the organisation that you're part of. So how many volunteers work with you and um, what would be a typical day or weekend uh, that uh, so you've been involved in?
1: Coast, um, so on the Central Coast, we've got volleys in um, from Sydney to Newcastle, actually Sydney to Port Stephens. Um, we've probably got about 50 volleys. Um, and you know, it all depends. We've got a rather proactive group that will um, go out. So we've got divers, snorkelers, free divers, that get out there in the water, Um, they're checking scuba dive sites because whenever you're scuba diving, people will take photos of turtles Like, and then we can go, ooh, that turtle's sick. That's how we got Ella with the balloon. We spotted her on a scuba diving site and went, ooh, she's in a really bad condition. We need to get her before she beaches herself because once they beach, it's a lot tougher to rehab them because their body's starting to shut down. And hence the reason they've beached themselves because they know if they stay in the water, they're going to drown. Um, and with our, like pelicans you know we've got people that are walking the beaches just doing beach cleanups that's when we can come across seabirds on the beach or we've got you know like guys that will then go it's a beautiful day let's just head around to you know all the boat ramps where the boats come in and the fish and you know you'll find all your pelicans there and we can then check them all out and see if any of them have got any fishing hook and line injuries and if they do then we spring into action trying to catch them or we've got a hotline that people call and um, they'll let us know that they've spotted you know any one of the injured animals that we're licensed to rescue and then we send a text out to the team and somebody will go yep I can go and do that and off they go and they go and rescue the animal that's how it works
0: and we'll provide the details
1: on a weekend, we can, you know, rescue like eight animals or we can rescue none, <laughs> like you okay. get what I mean. It just yeah. all depends.
0: <laughs> and what we'll do is we'll provide the details for anyone interested in uh, joining your association or being part of the larger, and I assume it's um, all through New South Wales and perhaps even yes, Victoria. That's,
1: that's right. So we're the whole whole coastline of New South Wales. So there's the North Coast branch at Ballina, there's us here on the Central Coast, and then there's the South Coast branch. So you've got the opportunity, no matter where you live along the East Coast of New South Wales, to be a part of the team. Yeah, That's fantastic.
0: Sure. I read recently that there were a large number of seahorses that had been washed along our shores on the beaches. So that sounds like a quite an unusual phenomenon. Have you got any experience or uh, any extra information
1: yeah no um it was uh i think it was leafy sea dragon so it was sea dragons not seahorses they're actually different species so i think they were leafies um but yeah it was like the leatherbacks are coming up onto the onto the coastline and then bang we were getting the the dragons coming up all along they were not only here on the central coast Newcastle but down in Sydney like so many i um, not sure but I know there was um, somebody that may have been from DPI was taking information um, so hopefully they also come up with um, yeah what was going on and it'd be really interesting to see if it's like the same sort of issue that was maybe happening with the leatherbacks? Was it the pollution out there from the floods that was causing, because it's got to have some sort of repercussion. You've got to think all the nutrients, so all the chemicals and all the poison people use, um, you know, it ends up out in the waterways and with flooding, it really ends up out in the waterways. So, you know, I've often said the marine wildlife that we work with, they have suffered their their own bushfire um, extinction, but it's gone on for decades due to plastics, uh, you know, the pollution in the water, um, but because it's unseen, nobody realized just how catastrophic it is for those marine animals and what they suffer and face every single day you know you know the bushfire it was devastating and you could see the animals and it really touched people's hearts but these marine animals they're suffering it 10 times worse and you just don't know about it until they start showing up on the shorelines and then still we're like going oh what is it what's happening
0: it's a silent bushfire isn't it it's something it that we is. that's not so prominent
1: and the scary thing is, is, you know, 75% of the oxygen we breathe comes from the ocean, comes from the ocean. It does not come from the trees. So every second and third breath you take is thanks to the ocean. So you've got to, you've got like every Every animal is like an apex animal. It's all part of what needs to keep the ocean healthy. That The sharks are like the doctors of the sea. They keep the ocean healthy, keep it from the dead and decaying matter and keeping it nice and clean. And yet we just don't seem to care. We're so scared because we're so uneducated that, you know, because we don't know enough about it, we don't seem to care enough about it. And yet it's going to be our own demise in the end. It is. Like, how are you going to go when you can't breathe? <laughs> not yeah, too yeah. what I don't think.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've got to start now, don't we?
1: Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That's right. It's not too late. You know, it's not too late. There is some hope oh my gosh, I was was just listening to Sylvia Earle, like her deepness, like this, that amazing woman that has fought her whole life for the ocean. She's just somebody that everybody needs to listen to once in their life if they haven't. And just to even hear her the other day, because sometimes I just get like, so, oh my God, what am I like, what am I going to do? And then I listen to her, and she goes, "There's still hope." And I think, if Sylvia's saying there's still hope, that's it. I'm going to keep fighting to the nail because that means there's still hope, you know.
0: <laughs> it's that, that the hope that keeps you going.
1: Yeah, hundred percent. I've got grandchildren. Um, You know, and they make me fight doubly hard because, you know, what sort of planet am I going to leave them? I'm going to tell you, they will never think that I didn't go down without a fight. (laughs) (laughs) I drive them crazy.
0: (laughs) Well, it's uh, very important that we bring to light the kind of work that you do and uh, many people who do similar work to you. Kathy Gilmore, I'm going to finish up with one last question, which um, I like to ask, which is, Kathy Gilmore, you've been voted as our representative here on the Central Coast and the Council. What are some of the things that you would do to change the management of our oceanic environment?
1: Oh, gosh. So many things like, well, I've touched on quite a few of them, you know, it's looking at plastics it's looking at balloons it's looking at shark nets just for starters they're like easy fix we can just with a stroke of a goddamn pen they can all change in a matter of seconds education education is so important you've got the amazing guys from take three there needs to be more support i think for them to get their message out they've got great education um modules that they get out to schools and when you're teaching the young kids the young kids teach the adults i know um a lot of the councils And places around even the world are even trying to utilize the plastics that, um, you know, people are collecting and picking up and, like, uh, remaking it into road base, into play base. Unfortunately, you know, I was down at the entrance just the other day. Um, and obviously by the salt water you know what salt water does to everything but all of the um, the recycled plastic is all breaking up and what's it doing it's just being washed into our waterways so you know sometimes i think we try to do the right thing and in the end we we're, we're not doing what we need so i guess we st- we need to listen to the people that have been working in the industries for such a long time. The science, listen to the science, listen to the people. I've listened to so many people that have turned around and said, you know, like, it's all well and good to make these, plastic you know clothing made from plastic and that's all great but when you start washing them all the little bits and pieces just end up back in the washing machine that's then connected and goes straight back in the waterways so we're not making a difference at all in that way you know um yeah education and i guess um hope hope knowing that we can still change we can still change our future we can still give our children and their their kids um, a, a great future and start working with our Indigenous, for sure. These guys had been looking after country for, you know, thousands and thousands of years and we need to start um, putting them back up and, and listening to them. They're as good as the science, you know. They're so valuable and we don't want to lose uh, what they've learnt, you know I just yeah a lot of respect so I don't know I don't oh my gosh I would change so much people would be sick of me <laughs>
0: <laughs> but you'd make a difference
1: oh 100% oh my gosh I'd go down like I go down kicking and screaming I will I know <laughs> <laughs> well but Kathy yeah, make a difference yeah
0: Kathy you've filled me with hope and our listeners with hope um, it's because of people like yourself that we know that uh, it, we can make a difference. And um, I just want to thank you for the work that you do and for your volunteers uh, as well in helping to look after our precious marine wildlife. And um, it's been a wonderful pleasure to have you on the podcast tonight. Thank you very oh, much. Oh,
1: thanks so much for having me. And that's exactly right. There's no I in team. It's, it always just takes a team. It takes a village and we need to start Yeah, working with our village to make that change. And we will. We'll get there. We will make it happen.
0: We will. Thank you, (laughs) Cathy. Thank you.
1: Bye. You've been listening to Citizen. Citizen.
0: Citizen. Citizen Science. Citizen Science Show.